Hello, ladies. Over the course of this podcast, there are going to be some amazing people on and we're going to be interviewing them and getting to know all of their tips and tricks and all the things that we should have in place in our homes and for ourselves so that we can live our best life as a special needs mama or an adoptive mama. And um, the reason these two are so closely correlated for me is because I know that both of these can seem magical to the outside world, but both of these can be extremely hard. And so my heart behind this podcast is that you would feel not alone for one minute, that you would hear things on here and say, okay, good. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who's felt that way. Um, that's my goal. I would love to start out by sharing our story with you. Uh, my husband and I, we, you know, end, end of our story as of right now, we live in the Dallas area and we have 10 kiddos and they're all amazing. How we got there. We started out in the Dallas area and we had three biological children. And um, after we had our third, my husband said, you know what, if we're going to adopt, because this was kind of a, a non-negotiable when we got married, he said, if we're going to adopt, we need to go ahead and do it because I don't know if I can ha handle any more than four kids, which, you know, it's kind of humorous now that we have 10, but he was really adamant about that. And so I was like, okay, fine, let's, let's do adoption right now. And so uh, we went to a class at our church and, you know, we, I had wanted to adopt from Africa. He wanted to adopt from China and they kept saying, wait until you're both on the same page. And so we thought it was for sure going to be a foreign adoption um, until the foster care panel got up and started talking. And we both looked at each other and said, oh crap, like this is what we're supposed to be doing. We didn't want to do foster care. We had no, no desire to have our hearts broken over and over again. And so that was not... That was not a part of our plan, but we knew in that moment that that's what we were being called to do. And so um, we walked away from there and started foster care training. And after we got approved, we had a little boy named Andrew placed in our home. Um, he came straight from the hospital to us and he was absolutely precious and tiny. And um, I remember it was like holding a little puppy, just he was so premature and so tiny and <laughs> he was such a sweet little buddy. Um, a few days later, we realized that he was actually a failure to thrive and he probably should have stayed in the hospital a lot longer. And looking back now, I can easily see that, oh, the fetal alcohol uh, is definitely a, a big, one of the big factors is a very low birth rate. And so now I'm like, oh, I, I understand why that happened. <laughs> but at the time, I did not know that. And so he went to the hospital for several weeks and we got him discharged around Thanksgiving time with a feeding tube and all of these wonderful things that we had to quickly get a small nursing degree in. Um, he just had a lot, he had a lot going on in his little body. And so he stayed with us until he was eight months old and at eight months old. Um, he went back to be with his bio mom and typically reunification is like where we want foster care to go. And um, I knew that with my head, but in my heart, it was so hard and I was so torn and I, I did not feel like we were putting him back into a safe environment. Um, like Dallas County standards are very different than my standards for what a, what a safe home is. And so it was, it was just really hard for me to let go of that. And um, there was a lot of grief there and I had to really just kind of shut off that part of my heart um, because it was so, so hard. Um, Mom would call me and ask me questions and, I wanted to be helpful and I wanted to like let her be empowered to be the best mom she could be. But at the same time, I, I found myself uh, upset that she didn't 
know how to take care of this kid that she desperately wanted and why was she calling me and I, there was just so many emotions there and um right or wrong they were just they were there so it was a really tough journey um a few months later they ended up moving back down to Louisiana and my husband and I decided to move up to Seattle and at that time we had four biological children because we had obviously had one more. Um, and so we were up in Seattle with four kids and then we got pregnant with our fifth. And after we had our fifth, um, we knew that the bio mom had not only Andrew, but, um, two other kiddos after Andrew and all three of them were taken away and put into foster care. And so when they were in foster care, uh, I would reach out a lot just to see if foster parents needed anything, if they needed diapers, if they needed help to check in on the kids, see how they were doing. And the CPS worker would have nothing to do with me. I called and left a message with everyone else in the office and she never called me back. I mean, I clearly left messages with her too, but she never called me back. And so I finally, it was just such a struggle because I'm like, I know I'm supposed to advocate for these kids. I don't know who's advocating for them and I want to advocate for them. Um, and at the same time, like I know that I need to trust that the Lord is sovereign and that he's good and he's got this, but where do I fall on this line? And so that's just such a hard tension to be in. I'm sure many of, of, you know, just between trust and waiting and advocating and all of that. So it's such a tense place to be. So a few days after we had had our, our fifth biological it was Palm Sunday and I went to church and it was, to me, it was the most random sermon I had ever heard in my whole life. <laughs> um, he was talking about Jesus weeping and who Jesus weeps for. And one of the things he said was that Jesus weeps for the orphan. And I was like, okay, Lord, these are, these are the orphans that I'm like broken over. Like I want them to be safe. I want them to be cared for. Um, I want to advocate for them. I want to serve them, but I don't know how, like I'm not even able to send diapers or anything. And like, I don't know how. And so I'm also supposed to trust you. And I don't know, I don't know where that falls. And so I, I pulled a Gideon and I just said, Lord, I'm going to lay this out here and I'm going to call one more time tomorrow. And if she doesn't call back, then I'm not, I'll just let it go. And I will trust that you know what's best and that you've got this and they will be fine without me doing anything. And so I called the next day and you would not believe that that lady called me back that day. It had been months and months of calling and she had not returned any of my phone calls. That next day she called and um, said almost aggressively, what is it that you want? Like, why do you keep calling? And I said, well, I wanted to check on the kids. And what I learned in that conversation is that very few people call to check on kids that are in the foster care system. And so she really had no idea what to do with me or my calls. Um, we, we chatted a little bit about the kids and where they were and what was going on. And, you know, she informed me that after I was able to give her some more information about Andrew's birth and, um, just some of the trauma and some of the history I knew from, from birth parents, she said, Oh, foster mom is wanting to put Andrew in a home just because of his behaviors. And he was not even four yet. And, um, at the time I, you know, was super prideful and thought, Oh my gosh, what is wrong with this lady that, She's wanting to put this three-year-old in a group home because clearly it's trauma. Clearly he needs X, Y, and Z. And I say pridefully because, you know, a few months after he'd been with us, it was like, oh, I get it. Like the behaviors are 
really extreme for a three-year-old. Um, so absolutely, like now I'm like absolutely no judgment whatsoever. I have been humbled in so many ways by this whole process and by the lack of ability to control children in anything. I've, I've just been completely humbled by that. And so here we go. So um, we said, okay, what do we need to do? How can we, how can we take care of these kids? We don't want them going to a home. Like we'll take them. We want to adopt him. He's our son. Like we want him. And she said, well, let me see. So we, after months and months of like trying to figure out how we could adopt the three of them up in Seattle, because of what you can't just really adopt one. They want to keep siblings together. And so if they were going to put them with us, they needed to stay together. And so we're like, we'll do it. We'll, we'll adopt all three. However, Seattle was not that crazy about us adopting three children that did not belong to, to Washington state. And so every, every obstacle we hit, we would come up with a really good, uh, solution around it and the the icpc caseworker which icpc is the the powers that be that uh what do they do i don't really know they make sure that children are being trafficked basically and so which is a good very good thing but she made it incredibly difficult for us to get anything done on our end and so we finally said okay well if we have to move back then we have to move back and so we ended up moving back to dallas uh to to adopt the three of them. And they were all placed in our home on Andrew's fourth birthday. And it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful thing to have them in our home and to know that they were safe. Cause there had been so many nights I'd just laid awake and just worried about them and uh, just cried over the conditions that they were in. And my heart just hurt for them. But at this moment, I was like, I know that they're safe. I know that they're well-fed. I know that they're um, warm in bed tonight. And, and everything's going to be okay. However, the daytime was a different story. It was like mass chaos had gone off in our home. And we had five little people, four and under, all in diapers. And for a little bit of that time, we actually had their younger sibling as well. Um, for about two months, he came to live with us. So he was a newborn baby. And, you know, it, it was just a lot. There were a lot of little people in our house. And I remember giving myself pep talks to try to get through the day. And I would, <laughs> I would uh, just be like, if we can just get to bedtime, we'll be okay. We were living in this rent house and we were renovating our current house. And it just felt like so much. It felt like so much. And I finally kind of came to the conclusion that we can't live that way, that we cannot live in the survival mode forever. And so I would read books and blogs and listen to podcasts and do all these things, try to figure out what we're going to do. And nothing fit our family. Nothing nothing was like a, a system that we could put into place in our home. Um, just because we were so stinking unique, you know, we had so many little people and so so many different special needs that we had therapists in and out of our home all day. We had caseworkers in and out of our home. We had all these compliance things that we had to do to, to maintain compliance uh, with the foster care system. And so it was just a lot. And finally, I was like, you know what? We got to figure this out. So we came up with a system to figure out how we were going to bring peace to our home and how we we're going to bring systems to our home. Because what was happening was the things I wanted to be teaching my kids and be intentional with, they were totally falling off by the wayside because I had no plan and we were just living completely reactionary lives. And that drained me to no end. And so we finally came up with a process where, um, 
we could really figure out what's important to us and make a plan for those things and get rid of some of the things that really didn't matter. And after a couple of years of just having peace in our home and being able to put our feet up and sit around and look around at a clean house um, while, while kids are playing in the other room, it, it just felt too wonderful to keep to ourselves. And so I wanted to share that with other mamas. And so I started coaching other moms and how to bring peace to their homes and create systems in their homes to do that. So therefore mama systems was born and that has been such a blessing. But one of the things I've realized as with our journey as well, is that special needs moms and adoptive moms don't know all of the things that are out there for them. And it's not because they're not wanting to do them. It's because nobody is telling them about them. Um, an example of this would be that our three who have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder all qualify for services through the state of Texas because of their FASD. First of all, no one informed us that they had FASD. It was a, it was a very long battle of like trying to figure out who could diagnose them, what was going on with them. We had so many health problems, so many, so many behavior problems. So like so much going on with each of them. And nobody is informed enough in FASD to like pin that down for us. And so I watched some YouTube video about this lady talking about one of her kids. And I was like, oh my goodness, that's what our kids have. Everything she said like matches up exactly. And um, I very naively believe that mom did not drink during pregnancy because she told me she didn't drink during pregnancy until I found some paperwork that, that showed that in fact she did. And so having that piece of information and knowing to advocate for that and to find a diagnosis for that and then getting services for that has changed everything in our lives. It has been so amazing. It allows me to run my business and allows me to help other moms. Um, it allows me to be more patient with my kiddos because I'm not the one putting out the fires with them all the time. It allows for respite for me, for a break for me. It is so life-giving. And so all this to say, my heart is growing more and more towards adoptive mamas and special needs mamas who may not know about services that they can apply for, who may not know about respite care that they can get. I want to equip you and I want to teach you and I want to, I want to learn from you as well um, so that we can walk through this being able to be the best mamas we can be. I'm really glad you're here with me.